All right, here is another great one. We recorded this one in Brooklyn. Thank you, New York City, for showing up. We had two tour stops scheduled this year. Less is now tour stops, one in Manhattan, one in Brooklyn. They both sold out really quickly, and so we added a second Brooklyn date, and that's the one you're about to hear right now live in front of a crowd in Brooklyn. It was actually our first time that we'd ever done a tour stop in Brooklyn, and we ended up doing two. So thank you to everyone who came out. Speaking of tour stops, Ryan and I are hitting the road once again. You probably heard that we're coming to Australia and New Zealand in March of 2018. And the good news is the response has been so positive, so overwhelming that we had to add some more dates. So we're coming to Brisbane. We're coming to Sydney. Those are almost sold out already. And we just announced the dates. So get your tickets to those while you can. We're also coming to Auckland and Melbourne. Actually, our Melbourne stop sold out within a few days. And so we added a second Melbourne stop. And then we heard you loud and clear. We're coming to Perth. We're coming to Adelaide. Tickets to those go on sale this week over at lessisnow.com. If you're on our email list, you'll be the first to know. Actually, if you are a Patreon supporter, you can already get tickets because the pre-sale is already available. So if you want to become a Patreon supporter or if you're already a Patreon supporter, they're going on a pre-sale right now for all of those new dates over in Australia. And other dates, uh, we're finishing the year here in North America. We're coming to Tennessee and Washington, D.C. this week. Those dates are already sold out, so you can't get tickets to those, but you can get tickets to Georgia and Florida. We're coming to Atlanta, and a few tickets left there, and Tampa. That one actually sold out, but then we found a bigger theater, so get your tickets there while you can if you're interested to see us in Florida, and then we're finishing the year in Michigan and in Wisconsin. We've been told it's going to be cold in the Midwest, the upper Midwest, and so we're coming to bring minimalism to warm things up a little bit, and then we're starting next year with a charity event. Las Vegas, January 14th, House of Blues. You can get your tickets now over at lessisnow.com for Las Vegas or any of the other events I mentioned. The Las Vegas event, actually, we're, we're donating 100% of the profits from that to help out with the uh, well, the, the Las Vegas Victims Fund. There was a terrible tragedy that happened there recently uh, with the mass shooting, and we wanted to find a way to give back. I don't think that Ryan and I could change the world, but I do think we can help whenever we can. And so we're going to give back. So if you want to come out, it's a long holiday weekend. You can grab your tickets, lessisnow.com. Also, and by the way, I, I just want to say thanks real quick before we jump into this episode. I'm back in Missoula, Montana for just a couple days, and I was searching around for a place to record this podcast intro, and there's a coffee shop I come to all the time. I, I, I write and I edit here, and I spent all kinds of time at Zoo Town. It, it's a, that's the name of the coffee shop. They have great coffee, and who knew they had a, a recording studio in their basement? So thank you to Zoo Town for hooking us up. Me and Podcast Sean are down here right now just recording this intro. And so I just want to say thanks to them. If you're in Montana, especially if you're in Missoula and you're looking for an outstanding cup of coffee, Zoo Town is the place to go. All right. And that is it for now. Please enjoy this episode of the Minimalists Podcast. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Live from the Bell House Theater, my name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists, live in Brooklyn! God, I love that New York welcome. Although I'm being told it's not just New York, Ryan. I'm being told that there are some people from Connecticut in the house tonight. <laughs> yeah. I'm also being told that New Jersey is in the house tonight. <laughs> and I'm also told, I don't know if this is true, but it was true the last two nights. So we've, been, we've done three stops in New York City and, uh, man, you all keep showing up. This is awesome. <laughs> I, I'm told, though, that there might be one or two people from the U.K. or Australia. Nice. Look at that. <laughs> How awesome is that? Now, um, I was just joking about the whole Australian accent thing earlier during my talk. Um, I was mocking ignorant 
Midwesterners, which I am one. And, um, you know, Buckeyes, yeah. <laughs> Dayton, Ohio, born and raised. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, we, uh, we're, actually, we're actually coming to, to Australia and New Zealand uh, next March. Lessisnow.com if you're listening to this at home. Uh, but we're in the middle of this, this tour, and we usually on our podcast, we do them in studio. And when I say in studio, it's in a conference room right now. Um, and uh, you call us up, and we answer your questions. But there's a microphone back there. And so you can congregate toward that microphone. We'll get to at least five questions. I can promise you that. And if we have time for more, then I'll see, I'll see what we can do. But uh, we'll, we'll start with five questions. And we also we have a little special treat for you later in the show as well. So someone has broken the seal already. Howdy, what's your name? Hi, guys. My name is Stephanie. I'm hey, Stephanie. We met on the street earlier. Right yes. um, you can get closer to that mic. Closer to the mic. And can I get a little of the audience mic in the monitor, please? Okay, so my name is Stephanie, and it's surreal to me that you are here in Brooklyn right now. I've been following you guys since about January of this year. Wow. Um, so my question for you is a little bit loaded, but I'm wondering, when do you enjoy it? So to kind of preface the question, currently I'm going through a lot of major events in my life. I am having a lot of company come visit me for the next couple of weeks. I am starting a new job. I quit my corporate job to start into a smaller company in my first Congratulations. two weeks off of starting That's awesome. this Monday. Um, and then also I'm making the move back to Manhattan from Brooklyn and adding a roommate to my life. And I'm super excited about all of these things, but it really stood out to me when my supervisor asked, um, are you excited about your new job? You seemed a lot more excited to move up here and take a lateral move within Bank of America than you are about a new smaller company where you're making more money and just going to be happier overall. And so I'm wondering, where do you take the pause in your life and actually enjoy all of those good things? Because I'm sure there's several people that wish all of these good things were happening to them, and they're all choices that I'm making for myself. So I should be excited and not internally like panicking and being really nervous about all of these good things. But at the moment, I just feel nervous and panicked and stressed. So when do you actually take that step back and enjoy all of the quote-unquote good things that are happening to you? Sure. I, I think a few things here. You, first off, you might not be as nervous as you think. You might actually be excited and you're mistaking one for the other. I think quite often that happens to us. Because they have both emotions. They're on both sides of the spectrum, right? You have this negative emotion, nervous or anxiety. Uh, I can tell you before we come out on stage, often I'll, be, I'll feel really nervous. And like, uh, we're going to talk to you know, however many people are in the audience that night. And my palms start sweating, my heart starts racing, and my mouth starts to get a little bit dry. And, and um, I'm getting jittery kind of feel those butterflies, and then I'm like, oh, my God, Ryan, I'm, I'm so nervous right now, and, and he'll be like, he'll be like, I'm not, I'm excited, my, my, my heart's racing, and my mouth is dry, and I'm just, I've got the, these, these excited jitters, and I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I'm just excited, or maybe, maybe they're the same thing, and, and, and I think we have to think about that. Now, here's the other thing, you, you, you mentioned well, you know what? I am moving toward, I'm moving toward uh, this lifestyle that a lot of other people might envy or want or whatever. This move, this change that I'm making, and, and maybe I'm supposed to enjoy it. You're not supposed to do anything. Just because someone else would enjoy what you're about to do doesn't mean that it's the right move for you. And maybe what you're feeling right now isn't, outside of the nervous thing, maybe it's a sign to say, well, wait a minute, maybe this isn't the right move for me. And, and you have to get really clear on what you want your outcome to be in, in this case. And if you don't know what you want your outcome to be, and more, much more important, why do you want that outcome? And, and do you want that outcome because it's the next logical step? I can tell you, I, I spent, what, 12 years climbing the corporate ladder, navigating each logical step. And here's the terrifying part about that. When I got to age 30... And I look down, and I'm like, oh, it's too far for me to jump back down. I might as well keep climbing. That was my first instinct because, well, it's too late for me to turn around. I'm, I've already gotten this far. 
I might as well keep going. Here was the problem, though. I started to see the guys that I emulated, the guys who I wanted to be like. I aspired to live like these guys, the CEOs, CFOs, COOs. And it's not that they were bad people, but the closer I got to them, I started to notice they were miserable. Some of them were on you know, the third marriage and their second heart attack. And I realized that if I worked my butt off for the next 15 or 20 years, maybe I could be just like them. And that didn't seem like the path that I wanted to go down. And so I decided to jump off that ladder. And man, that was terrifying. But continuing to ascend seemed a bit more terrifying to me. Can I ask you, um, like, what makes you feel nervous? Like, what, what kind of thoughts go through your... I'm just curious. I think I'm nervous for failure with my new company. I've been at the same company since I graduated college. So I'm nervous for, I don't know, being successful and being a contributor to my new team successfully. <laughs> um, I'm worried about that. And then I haven't had a roommate since college either. I'm very introverted. I'm really good with people when I have my alone time as well. But coming home, I never had the desire to come home and chat about my day with someone. I talk, text my friends about that. And so, I don't know, that all of the things that could come up with roommate battles, I don't know, kind of are horrifying me. So I'm sorry, is this the roommate, is it a roommate or is this a significant other? It's a roommate. I, okay. Yeah. Well, the good news is, is you, you don't owe your roommate anything except for half of the rent and utilities. <laughs> 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 you definitely don't owe them to talk about your day at the end of the day. Um, so it's, it's change is what is, is making you nervous. And uh, the word that stuck out to me was you're scared of failure which um, that is certainly um, something that we all, I think, get nervous about when a change is happening. Like, it, it, like there's a change happening, and it might not be a better change. Um, man, I got good news and bad news for you. I'll give you the bad news first. You're going to fail at some point in your life between now and the end of it. All of us here will fail at some point between now and the end of our lives. And maybe that's actually, maybe I got good news and good news because knowing that and accepting that and embracing the fact that, yeah, you're not going to be perfect and there are going to be some things that you're probably going to have to work out might actually help you prepare a little bit more. In fact, I think anxiety or excitement, I think both are a way to prepare yourself for, for what's to come. So accept the fact that, yeah, it's, it's not going to be perfect, but if you are learning from those failures and you're putting your best foot forward, if you can go home at, at, at the end of your work day and, and look in the mirror and say, you know what, I, I did everything I could. Uh, I'm doing something that lives up to my values and beliefs, and, but you know something kind of messed up. It's okay to feel good. Go to sleep, wake up, and then learn from that the next day. And then uh, the, other, the other good news is, is that it's going to be okay. I promise you. <laughs> I mean, th there, are, there are people who, you know, I, I, like I'll, I'll walk down the street and I'll see someone homeless and I'm like, oh man, like I just feel so bad for them. And I'm like, man, Ryan, how many decisions are you away from being homeless? And uh, I've had this conversation with Josh before. And Josh is like, dude, you will never be homeless. It's because you make really good decisions and you have learned from your failures. And it would really take an extreme, an extreme case, mental illness, um, you know, severe drug addiction, something that would really, really put you in that place. But Ryan... Uh, the chances of you getting there are, are very slim. And I guess that's, that's what I want to tell you is go for, go for it and, and put your best foot forward and I promise you it's going to be, you're not going to be homeless. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to ask, that, to ask a similar question there because, I mean, and, and obviously homelessness is a huge, huge problem. And, and um, it's, it's something that, 
we need to do a better job addressing societally and also from a government perspective, but uh, uh, being able to contribute um, in some way. And there are ways where people, where, you know, in term, like with what's going on in Houston right now, I mean, there's um, huge, in fact, a couple nights ago in Philadelphia, I was, I, I talked about this on the bonus podcast we did, uh, we recorded yesterday, but um, since we're doing a, a normal podcast, I'll, I feel good about talking about it again. We had a, a couple come up to us. You know in my talk, I talk about how you could rent a dumpster and throw all your shit in it and still be miserable. We had a couple in Philadelphia come up and say, you know what, um, I, we didn't listen to that advice. We just got a dumpster and started putting a lot of our stuff in it. And um, we were a bit too zealous because there was a dumpster fire. And our entire house caught on fire. And so our whole house burned down as we were minimizing. <laughs> and she looked me dead in the eyes. And she said, I want to thank you. Because I think if that would have happened before, I would have thought about what things can I run into my house and grab. But the only thing I thought about was, was, are my children safe? Because as long as my children are safe, everything's going to be okay. And so I like to flip that on its head sometimes. Sometimes I'll ask myself, we hear this question all all the time, like, what's the worst that could happen? Well, sometimes the answer is some really terrible shit could happen. (laughs) What's the worst that happens if you drive 140 miles an hour down the highway? Well, you might die, right? What's the worst that happens if you sleep around and have unprotected sex with hundreds of people? Well, I think we know. <laughs> and, and, and so I, the, the, the truth is, if we're not being safe and really bad decisions that we're making, yeah, some bad shit can happen. But I also like to ask the other question, because the worst that can happen a lot of the time is, well, I, I might find another job. Okay, well, that doesn't sound that bad. Or, or you know, the, the, the worst that could happen is usually not that bad at all. But the other side is, when I make a change in my life, what's the best that can happen? And then I start thinking about all the possibilities. And that's when change doesn't make me nervous. That's when change makes me excited. Thanks for your question. Thank you. Howdy. Hi. Hi. What's your name? Melissa. I'm from Mexico City. We are from Mexico City. Okay. You're from Mexico City? Yes. Welcome. Nice. Wow. Thanks for coming out. Thank you. Well, we've been living here for one year. Oh. Yeah, well, and my question goes, um, like, in situations where your values, like, merge and kind of, like, um, I don't know, like, they have problems between them, like, in this month, my best friend's father died, and then the quakes, and it's difficult being here. But I don't know why I'm getting so emotional. It's, but to go there, I will have to go into that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I didn't do it, but, um, and many situations where your values, like, crash. Maybe that's the word. Yeah, so, so sometimes our values are opposing values. Is that what you're saying? Not really. Like, what do you put first? Like, your, um, your personal growth and your professional growth or your relationship with your best friend or your family that is suffering right now? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so where do you start? What are the most important values if, if you feel like your values have collapsed or that your priorities are out of order or you feel like you're not living up to what your values are, sometimes because of a situation that's outside of your control, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, I can give you a personal example. I, uh, you know, so Ryan and I, in our first book, it was a book called Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. Um, we wrote about the five foundational values or um, health relationships, passion or creativity, growth and contribution. And, and I think all, all five of these are, are perspectival, meaning my idea of health is going to be different from Ryan's, it's going to be different from your, your idea. I think we can agree on some fundamental 
uh, uh, principles, but ultimately my version of health is going to look different necessarily. And I've had a lot of health problems over the last two years. In fact, about a year ago next month, we, had to, we stopped doing the podcast altogether. There was a point where I updated my will because I thought I was dying uh, a year ago. And um, uh, I'm like, well, I might as well get ready for this. Like, I don't know where it's going, but I got to a point where I had really bad memory loss, like short-term memory loss in particular. And um, I realized that even though I was focused on my health, I w it was the thing I needed to focus on more than anything else, more than my creativity, more than contributing beyond myself, even though those, that's very important to me, more than growing, I needed to, you know, this value had sort of been swept out from underneath me. And I needed to do my best not to be perfect, but I didn't want perfect to be the enemy of ideal. And I needed to get closer to what my ideal was. And, and that's, what, that's what I'm continuing to do right now. I have mercury poisoning. It's really awful. Um, I have a messed up uh, microbiome in my gut. And I have done a lot to repair that over the last year. And I continue to focus on my health. But I got to a point where I felt good enough. I had improved my health, health enough over those five or six months that I decided, okay, now we can actually focus on, on going out doing this tour and, and doing a few other creative things. But not overload my health. Don't forsake my values in order to, to try to tackle other values. Thank you for your message. Howdy. Hi. My name's Monique. Hey, Monique. Hi. Hello. Where are you from? My hometown's Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome. Thank you. It's a hell of a drive. <laughs> or a I'm great just flight. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, so my question is, I wrote mine down. Um, well, just backstory, my husband and I felt like we were living the quintessential American dream. And then we watched. I'm so sorry. We we watched your documentary over the summer, and then we woke up, and so ah. we you know got to donating and getting rid of things, and then you realize you're left with this massive house that's empty. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, notably, there are less boxes coming to the house, which is great. Um, but at the same time, um, my question is, how does minimalism become more contagious? Um, especially when it comes to real estate and development. And then even beyond that, the community that you're in, how does it become bigger than just, this is the information I know, I'm stuck in this big house. How does it go forward with real estate, community, and, and a bigger map? Yeah, the, I think the way ideas become contagious is, well, it's the whole tagline for TED, right? They say ideas worth spreading, right? And what makes someone spread something? Ryan talked about this a little bit in his talk toward the end when he talked about adding value. I think it's a, a natural human instinct to want to add value to other people's lives. And you know, we, we're on social media, on the Twitters and all that, that stuff, but our most powerful social media platform is that email forward button. Because if you forward something to people you really care about, not just you know, tweet it or share it on Facebook, those things can help. Uh, they can help expand the message, you know, but those platforms tend to be a bit noisier than if I know Monique and if she forwards me something, I'm going to actually look at, hey, Josh, I really thought you would like this documentary. I really thought you'd like this podcast. I really thought you'd like this book or this TV show or whatever it may be. If I know you personally or if Ryan sends me something personally, I mean, it's like my friends are probably so tired of how often I send out Seth Godin's essays to them. Um, but... Uh, usually it's when it resonates with a with a person individual. I'm like, I think this one thing will resonate with you. I sent some of my partner Bex, who's here tonight somewhere. She's hiding in the shadows. But um, uh, I sent her uh, a podcast I was finding value in the other day. But she also knows I don't send her something just like, well, I kind of like this. Maybe you should check it out. I, I, I'll say, hey, I think you'll really find value in this podcast episode, especially around the 38-minute mark. And, and when we do that and we target the people closest to us, we, be, we do that because we care about them. And we, we find value in something in hopes that maybe they'll find a similar amount of value in that thing. And then, of course, that happens with ideas as well. When you start to see things like in our documentary, you, you saw uh, Graham Hill in there. He's in New York City and in Manhattan. And uh, he has that 410 square foot? 
430-square-foot uh, apartment that is, uh, you can sleep seven. It has a movie theater in it. it uh, you can have dinner for 12. There's also a home office there and a bathroom and a shower and everything else and like 410 square feet. And that's because it's a very, I mean, it's the most deliberate use of space that I have ever seen, probably, right? Because it's so multifunctional. Um, and so you, you see an idea like that, and, and most of us can't afford an apartment like that in, in Manhattan, but it's not that what he's trying to share. He's sharing the idea of shared resources, shared space, shared community within the, the proximity of other people who have similar ideas. They may not be like-minded people, but they're open-minded people. And if we share those ideas with other open-minded people, that's how they spread. I would love if everyone became a minimalist. And, and a lot of people are like, well, if that happened, the economy would tank. Well, minimalists, they still buy stuff. Mm. It's just not this endless cycle of buying something new, getting rid of the old, and then buying the new thing a few months later. Um, yeah, it, it would be great if if uh, this would again like reach every single person and, and, and move everyone. You know, it, it, when it comes down to it, like Josh and I, we are out telling our stories. We are, and we have you know two different stories, two different recipes, and we're not really proselytizing. We're not trying to convert anyone. You can't even do that by definition. Like you can't convert anyone to a minimalist. Um, the, the reason why Josh and I do this is in hopes that maybe there are a few ingredients that y'all can take home and apply to your own life to help you live more meaningful lives. Um, you know, like the packing party, for example. I'm sure most of you were like, that's freaking crazy. I've got six kids at home. I would never do that. Um, and you're right. I would agree with you. That would be pretty crazy for a family of, of, of six or eight or whatever. Um, even, you know, even a family three, whatever. Um, but there, I know there, I know there are people out there who were like, yeah, that packing party thing, that is awesome. So, you know, for Josh and I, uh, we will continue to do this. Um, you know, as long as y'all keep showing up, we'll keep showing up. Thank you. All right, before, before we move on, we'll just pause for one second. If you're listening to this at home and uh, you have a comment or a tip for anyone who asked a question today or about any of our maunderings on the stage here, you can uh, you can call up, leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839, or send a voice memo right from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com. We will air our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. And really, I'll tell you, it's my favorite part of the show. It's the very end of the show. We pepper in a handful of listener comments and tips because... I get to learn so much from other people. It's one of the reasons we're on the road. We get to listen and, and, and see people face-to-face, which is so much better than just being on the phone. But also, um, when people call in, I get like these little practical tips that, A, sometimes I just use for myself, but B, it makes my answers sound more smart when we're on the road. <laughs> so, um, yeah, please, please listen to at the end there. You'll get some, some practical comments and, and tips from, from our listeners. Ryan, do you know what time it is? It is time for our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round where, well, we usually answer questions from social media, but that would be weirder if we were on our phones up here on stage. <laughs> Indeed. We're, we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, Facebook, at the Minimalists. Uh, Jessica's here. She runs all the, the social media stuff. So. Yik, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Jessica Williams. Give her a round of applause. Yeah. What's really nice about that is she helps curate some of the articles and things that we share. Ryan and I still have the opportunity to interact with everyone online and, and respond to comments when we want to and stuff like that. But she curates a lot of things that we hope will add value to your lives on those platforms, but also allows us to, uh, to interact with you as well. And so during this segment, this is where Ryan and I usually try to answer your question with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response, something tweetable. We call them minimal maxims, by the way. We just uh, started a website called minimalmaxims.com, and it has just hundreds, if not over a thousand of, of our quotes uh, at this point from the podcast and books and other stuff. And the problem is we don't have a week to craft an answer for you, so we'll wander up here a little bit, ramble on, until we can come up with a pithy answer to 
to satisfy you that you all can share a tweet. By the way, Jess tends to live tweet this whole event from our account. If you look at that hashtag, uh, less is now, which is the name of the tour. You can also share your photos and quotes from the night. We'll repost some of our favorites with hashtag less is now. Howdy, what's your name? Hi, my name is Joy. Hey, Joy. Hi. Um, so my question for you is, to what ex what do you need to believe in as a baseline for minimalism to work? So what I mean by that is do you need to have the right to say healthcare for you to think, well, I don't need to qu climb this corporate ladder because I don't need to have a lot of savings in the event that I have a healthcare issue? Or do you need to believe that there's a right or, or an ability to access, say, education down the road in the event that you want to, for your children, for example, to give them a better life so that you don't, you don't, you know, abandon their future in your pursuit of minimalism. How do you think about what's the baseline that's needed? I think my pithy answer is something like minimalism is apolitical. Um, and that's been the really nice thing for me. And, and I tell you, for me and Ryan, we have, uh, we have just different personalities. I'm an INTJ. He's an ENFP, for those of you who are familiar with Myers-Briggs. Um, and uh, which we're like exact opposites, like yin and yang. Um, but we also have uh, we have, even though we have different personalities, we have different beliefs, interests, desires. You know, one of us is always on time. One of us isn't. Um, uh, and, and also, uh, we have different religious beliefs. Uh, we have uh, different political beliefs. We voted for two different people in the last election. There are more than two people to vote for, just so you know. <laughs> and, um, and, and that's been the really nice thing for me. So uh, when it comes to discussing rights, I think we start to get into the, the political realm. And I don't mean political in the original sense of the word. It, word. If, if you go back and look at, at the, the Latin root of the word politics, it means the community or the art and science of how the people govern themselves. And that's a whole different discussion than how we talk about politics today. We, with politics in America, we talk about red and blue. And my team versus your team, my tribe versus your tribe. And the nice thing about minimalism is it's a different type of tribe. It, it's almost opting out of that, that kind of sort of identity where, look at me, I've put on this and therefore I have to disassociate from the other team. I know minimalists who voted for everyone who you could have possibly voted for in that, that last election. Uh, I know people who are conservative, liberal, and, and they have the same values. They happen to have different beliefs, which means they get there via different paths. And so uh, minimalism is apolitical, and that's the good news. Was that the pithy one, the last it's sentence? Pithy there? enough, yeah. Was it the pithy? Uh, my pithy answer, um, I, don't, I, I won't ramble. I'll just give it to you. Um, a minimalist needs to believe in only themselves. Ooh. So not even say family? What's that? So like, for example, like, you know, if you think about, or, you know, as I'm thinking about just more personally, mm -hmm. I'm the only child of two, uh, not yet old parents, but they will be one day. And I believe that I have an obligation to provide for them. And so as a result, for, you know, I think about minimalism, I can certainly apply that to myself, but to the extent it affects others who didn't choose necessarily the path, mm -hmm. and that I would have to forsake some of their comforts in my pursuit of minimalism, you know, how, how does one reconcile those things? Yeah, so what I would say is just reiterating to believe in yourself that you can absolutely have a simple lifestyle, a meaningful life with your family. Yeah, and you can still it, you believe that you can provide for them if that's if that's what you have to do. You have to be able to believe that you can in order in order for the to, in order for that to happen. And you know, in the very beginning, when I'm like, "Hey, imagine your life a year from now, two years from now," and I talk about how you know what you're picture, picturing isn't a a perfect life, and it certainly isn't an easy life, but a but a simple one, and that is in in our talk very deliberately because. Oft, it's too often we confuse simple with easy. And easy is not, or I'm sorry, simple. <laughs> easy is easy. Uh, but simple is not easy. So I don't want to like, I don't want you to, I don't want to just, you know, blow your question off and say, well, just believe in yourself. See you later. Because that, that sounds easy. I want to be very clear that believing in yourself 
and forming a meaningful life, not just for you, but for your family also, it is going to be a lot of work. It isn't going to be easy, but I promise you that if you continue to work at it, asking the right questions, making sure that your, your short-term actions align with your long-term values and beliefs, working towards that plan that you can see off in the distance, like I, I promise you it, 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 will eventually, it will eventually work. It may not be perfect, but you know, don't let perfect be the enemy of ideal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to do one more lightning round question, and then we'll do a a bonus round question here in a moment. Howdy, what's your name? Hey, I'm Hannah. Hey, Hannah. Where are you from? Uh, Originally Austin, Texas. Welcome. Thank you. I actually moved here a month ago with two suitcases. Um, Minimalist. Or broke, but yeah, sure, we'll go with minimalist. (laughs) Um, So my question has a little bit of backstory. About a year ago, I went on a month and a half long, 7,000-mile motorcycle road trip. Um, and somebody knows. What kind of hog you got? I have a KLR650 before they redid the engine. Nice. Is that a cool bike, Sean? Sean's, Sean agrees. Sean's the, mo- <laughs> Sean's the motorcycle rider. You, you and I are going to be good friends. So um, with, with that trip, you, know, you have two saddlebags and a backpack, and it was incredible. It was one of the best life decisions I've ever made, but returning to the real world... Um, I was actually relating a lot more with people who had been deployed, which is a weird mentality to like join as a civilian. But um, going like with y'all's journey into minimalism, I'm wondering what brought you back to the real world, or or what stopped you from just like going full hermit and just being like, <laughs> I am never returning to this consumer society. Because like I I remember like this moment very strongly in. Idaho and being like, I could just leave. I could just stay on the bike and never come back, and it would be fantastic. And then I did come back because the money ran out, but I'm wondering why you guys came back. My, my pithy answer is something like, uh, sometimes we have to remove ourselves from the chaos so we can re-enter more deliberately. Um, and I remember when Ryan and I first moved out to Montana, it was five years ago, we moved to this cabin in the middle of nowhere. It was like Super cheap. We found it on Craigslist. It was already furnished. And by furnished, I mean it had a couch and two beds. And um, we started writing a book. And we really did sort of remove ourselves from that. And then we eventually re-injected ourselves into normal life. And I I think minimalism is the way that... Minimalism for me has been the middle ground. It's not being an ascetic or a monk. Although we had a monk come up to one of our events recently. He just came there to shame us. <laughs> yeah, he, you slacker. What are you doing? He walked up to the mic and he said, so are you telling me I have to become a monk <laughs> to be a minimalist? And um, no, I mean, that, that's the whole point. I mean, that, yeah, the, the, the monks or ascetics or, or even people who are really into stoicism, um, they... Yeah, they will deprive themselves for much longer periods of time th- than I find necessary. And for me, minimalism wasn't about that. It was about living in a modern-day world with the newest problems. I mean, I think this, the, this solution we call minimalism now, it's several thousand years old. I hate to break it to you. Like, we didn't invent this. Um, it's old solutions to a new problem. And that new problem is rampant consumerism. And, and we're using ancient wisdom to face a, a, a pretty complex problem and, and make that complex a bit more simple. I have a pithy answer, but I'm going to preface it a little bit. Um, you know, our, uh, we, we met with our uh, tour booking agent. He came to our event last night in, in Manhattan and we were talking about the podcast, and um, I was telling them how, you know, like, it feels really weird to say, but, like, we have one of the biggest podcasts in the world. Like, that feels really, really weird to say. And he was like, and you guys aren't doing advertisements. And I'm like, I'm like, no, man. But, Ryan, you could use a nice shave right now. I could. Have you thought about Does getting- anyone get 
razor rash? Mm. When's you, the last time you had a comfortable night's sleep? <laughs> I'm thinking for just like maybe a dollar a week, you could have razors delivered right to your door. <laughs> and, you know, I'm having this conversation with him, and I was joking around, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I talked to Milliburn about selling out, but I just can't get him on board. And, you know, I started, I, I, I have, you know, of, of course I've thought about this, you know, at some point during this whole journey. And I'm like, man, you know, like Dave Ramsey, he talks about, you know, if you can save up three million bucks, this is the perfect amount because you can live off the interest and the interest gives you so much to live a comfortable life. So, you know, I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's not six figures. Maybe it's, maybe it's three million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so let's say, let's say that, uh, uh, you know, Josh and I, I talk him into it. We start selling razors or mattresses or whatever on our podcasts. And I can make $3 million and I could put all that in the bank. Then I would be the king of who gives a shit. <laughs> and that, that's a problem with me. So, you know, really, really broke or really, really poor, uh, neither of those situations sounds great to me. Uh, so here's my pithy answer. In order to live a meaningful life, you have to also contribute meaningful creations. Jess, you're going to have to edit that a little bit. <laughs> Thank you for your question. Yeah, thanks a lot. We'll move on to the last question in a moment, but first, I've got something special for you. We're going to move on to our added value portion of the show. And this is usually where Ryan and I talk about something that, that has added value to our lives recently. And uh, we have a, we've been doing a local flair while we're out on the road, but this one is like um, a weird kind of local. I, there is one possession that has added more value to my life over the last seven years than any other possession. And I'm pretty deliberate about the things that I bring into my life, but also the things that I hold on to. And um, in our documentary, uh, there was a woman named Juliet Shore, and she said, the problem isn't that we're too materialistic. The problem is that we're not material enough, and, uh, or materialist enough, meaning we don't often care about the things we bring into our lives, and we treat a lot of the things like they're disposable, and there's two problems with that. If we're constantly just disposing everything, we're just we're wasting a lot of money, and, and its impact on the environment, and all the problems that come along with that, but then also, we usually don't even get rid of the disposable things. We dispose of it in our attics, closets, base, basements, spare bedrooms that become storage rooms, and then, of course, the $22 billion storage industry. Now, that's where we're keeping all of these disposable things, as opposed to bringing things into our life that will last a long time and add a lot of value. And, um, uh, well, when our documentary came out, something really pissed me off. I got over a thousand messages via various platforms and email and everywhere else. People ask me, hey, really loved your documentary. Where'd you get that bag that's in the documentary? Where can I buy that bag? And I'm like, oh, that's what you got from the documentary. It's a fucking advertisement for a bag. And like, it was an, I didn't even really pay attention that the bag was in there. We were at a hotel room and I was like unpacking. And, um, and so it's, I used this bag for the last seven years and people started asking me and every time, I, in fact, I, at one point I had this like auto text response because I, so they had asked so many times. Unfortunately, the, the, the guy who started, who made the bag uh, made it as like an art project and made only 300 of them and stopped making it in 2012 and... and Good luck with your search, I think is what the, the message basically said. And uh, I felt bad because that was the message they got out of the documentary. But then also, like, you know what? I have to say, like, I have to turn all these people down. I can't even point them in the right direction. And it's, it's true. This thing has added immense value to my life over the last six or seven years and the hundreds of cities that we've gone to. And so eventually, uh, the guy who made it, his name was Malcolm Fontier. And uh, he, he reached out to me eventually. We had never talked before. And he said, hey, I'm starting to get messages about this bag. I don't know how because 
Like, I don't know how people know you didn't talk about it. It's not like in the credits of the film or anything. So I imagine you're getting a lot of messages too. Have you ever thought about maybe uh, bringing that bag back out? And I'm like, what? No, we're the minimalists. I can't imagine putting our name on a physical good. And he's like, well, do you not get value from the bag? I'm like, yeah, it's the best thing I've ever owned. And he's like, what? I, no, seriously. I'm like, no, seriously. It's the best and worst thing I've ever owned. It's the worst thing because all these people keep asking me about it. <laughs> and it's the best thing because I use it more than any other one item. And he's like, well, that sounds like something you get a lot of value from. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. He's like, would you ever consider partnering up on, on, on bringing this bag back out? And I'm like, man, I don't know. Like, we've never put our, our name on a physical good before. And, and, and then he said, well, how about we just don't put any logos on the bag then? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I said, yeah, I don't know. Let's talk more about it. And we, we got to talking more and more about it. And uh, we had to make sure our, our values lined up. And, you know, the processes were sustainable and everything else. And, and that he was just as passionate about the project as we were. Because for me... Money is is never is never the primary driver for doing what we do. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not allergic to money. I like money just fine. It's a great resource. But I don't want it to drive what my behaviors are. It's the reason we don't do advertisements on the podcast. Well, that and because advertisements... They suck worse than that. Come on. We don't do po- uh, av- advertisements on the podcast because advertisements... You're damn right they do. Um... And so we decided to partner up and, uh, and try to do like a, a crowdfunding campaign to see if other people were interested in, in the bag, which we're actually going to wait to put this episode out until that, that crowdfunding thing starts. Here's the, thing, the caveat I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to pull Malcolm out here in a second, and we can talk about it. You probably don't need another bag. And so you probably don't want to buy it. And I don't want to tempt you to buy a bag. The, thing, the reason that we're bringing this, helping Malcolm bring this back out and really giving feedback because I've used it on the road for the last six years is um, it's something that I've, that I've found immense value in. I know some other people would as well. But if you don't need a bag, please don't feel compelled to buy one. You will be just fine without it. Ladies and gentlemen, Malcolm Fontier. Yeah. I should say, I should say, Brooklyn's own Malcolm Fontier. Yeah. All right. So, so Malcolm, the, the first thing is... Um, we want to make this bag as cheaply as possible, so what's the cheapest sweatshop we can make this in? <laughs> actually, there is a sweatshop involved, actually. <laughs> what? Yeah, there is. Closer. It's actually, it's actually our own office right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, uh, we're working like crazy to get this bag out. Um, but, uh, but no, we're, but like you guys, uh, we don't like to cut any corners. And so it's like... We, we actually cause a lot of people that we work with uh, a lot of stress because we, uh, we we just we demand we demand uh, you know, the with the design of the bag we design it uh, we de- demand like everything be perfect but then also with our suppliers because we're not we're not actually making the bag ourselves we uh, we're working with a uh, with factory in Asia um, but we're very you know, very particular with them too and we have uh, partners uh, there that are meeting with the factory uh, regularly and. And causing them a lot of headaches, but the result's going to be worth it. So, so yeah, I know one thing that you're passionate about is zero plastic whatsoever, right? Because um, clearly we have a huge plastic problem in general. So, so in in manufacturing and also packaging, and it becomes an afterthought. Whenever you buy a new a new thing that you want or need, there's uh, just this overwhelming plethora of plastic wrapping and you've decided to do something unique and, and sort of make this bag by the way it's called packed bags p-a-k-t i wish i would have, i'm traveling with it right now but it's back in my plush hampton inn hotel room um and um you know it's uh i should have brought it but if, if you want to see it it's just packedbags.com p-a-k-t bags.com p-a-k-t bags.com um and uh, i'm gonna spell it wrong anyway um 
you, you decided to turn this packed bags experiment into a bit of a um, what would you call it? A, a, a case study? Yeah, a case, a case study. Um, one, uh, this project's got a lot of stuff wrapped up into it, which makes it uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but most, I'm into environmental stuff. I do. Uh, I spend my free time, most of my free time, outdoors. And um, before these guys went and used our bag in uh, in a movie, threw everything <laughs> off course. Um, it's, seriously, it was total a total accident. A year ago. The movie went on Netflix what, last November? Yeah, yeah last so December, last, yeah. Yeah. A year ago, if, some, if anyone had asked me if I was going to get back in, into the bag business, I would have been like, no, hell no. Been there, done that. Um, and, then, uh, and then the movie came out, and I think we actually connected like in, uh, I don't know, shortly after the new year, maybe February or something. Um, but I was actually working on, uh, I'm working on a new venture to uh, reduce the amount of plastic waste that makes it into our oceans. And um, I was totally set on doing this. So in the beginning, actually, I actually, it's funny to hear you say that about the, the copy and paste response about the bag, because I had my own too. Um, <laughs> people started asking me. At first, people, the bag was actually sold uh, was about five or six years ago. We actually stopped selling it. And, um, and over the years, a few people have found different videos on YouTube and stuff and asked me about it. But then suddenly last year, it just started picking up. I was like, what's going on here? So I created that auto response and like copy and paste. Sorry, there are none available. And people ask, oh, can I get it and use somewhere? I was like, I don't know where, I don't know where you can do that either. Um, but I was totally set on, on I, was, I was doing this because I was totally focused on working on this new environmental venture to uh, try and fight plastic waste that makes it into our oceans. So. I started looking at this project, like, well, maybe there's, there's too much to ignore here, and uh, if I work with these guys, uh, you know, it'll be fun, and you know, it'll free up my time to do some other things. So we came up with a way to, uh, to continue doing the plastic, uh, fight, plastic fighting pro um, project um, while doing this project. So what we're going to do is we're going to use the, um, uh, a couple facts here. Um, Single-use plastic uh, makes up like over 30% of all the uh, of, of plastic produced in the world. But it makes up uh, over 70% of the plastic that makes it into the natural environment and into the oceans. Um, so it's like it's all the plastic that is um, that just comes wrapped around the products that we all, you know, the products that we do buy. Um, you know, you get you buy something and you you take it out of the box and before you get to your actual product, you've got five different pieces of plastic sitting there. Um, and that's part of the problem. It's the stuff that we don't even think about. It's that manufacturers don't think about. They just you know they make the, they design their product and they want it to get to the to the end user. Um, so what we're doing is using the bag as a case study uh, to prove, to, to show how you can package a product safely and that it'll, it'll be delivered in good shape to the, to the end user without any plastic. Um, and we're going to use it, so we'll highlight that, um, we'll, be, you know, we'll direct people once they, if they receive this product, so just, did you notice it didn't have any plastic packaging? And they can go to a site to see what packed pack bags and other companies are doing um, to help this problem. Yeah, you know, yeah, that is awesome. Um, thank you. <laughs> I was going to say another thing that excites me about this bag is the durability. Uh, do you want to talk to that a, a little bit? Sure. Okay. Um, but I don't. I don't mind. I need to say anything. I've seen Josh's bag, and uh, it speaks for itself. <laughs> it's it's beats. So, so here's the thing. Like it's hard for me to describe the thing because it it defies categorization. It is a duffel bag, messenger bag, suitcase, and it is none of these things at the same time. Um, it, it it's almost I. I think the way I originally described it to people who asked me about, about the bag was um, somehow Malcolm made a deal with the devil to defy physics because I could fit more stuff in this small bag than I could into a big suitcase that I had. And those suitcases I always had, they were like crazy bulky and then I started looking for other bags that weren't bulky like that. But they always had like 73 pockets on them, none of which I knew what to do anything with. And so I figured out really, really quickly, like, as soon as I got this, like, you did something special here. And I'm like, I really hope I can beat this up because I'm going to be taken on the road. And, man, I have. Yeah, no, the reason why I bring up the durability is um, one of my favorite companies is Patagonia because uh, they go out of their way to make great products, products that are going to last 
Um, in fact, their advertise like what was their advertisement last year? Maybe it was the year before. It was like, hey, here's our new jacket, but you probably don't need to buy this jacket. They, they encourage people to buy their clothes used and yeah. and, and, uh, and to repair the clothes when they get broken. Yeah, in but, fact, they have a van that goes around the country and and repairs their their old clothes. I mean, they'll come to Missoula or wherever sometimes, and they'll repair clothes and they'll even repair other companies' clothes if you bring it in um, if they think that it's repairable. And uh, I think the, the way they can do that is because their clothes are, and, and things are so durable that they don't have to repair them nearly as, as often as they would at a, uh, uh, you know, the, the fast fashion kind of places. Um, and now, there's, uh, on the durability thing, um, this, whole, this whole project has actually been it's very unique. I'm, I'm an industrial designer, and I've designed all types of products uh, before doing, doing the bag. And, um, but there's a typical process to it. You, you make your prototypes, you test them, you, you, know, you test and see if they're, uh, if they're durable enough. Everything seems like it's gonna be tough. Um, what ended up being a little happy accident with this project is uh, the fact that we stopped producing this bag for five years, yet people that had the bags, like these guys, especially Joshua, um, were, just, were still using this thing. And, uh, and then little did we know that we were gonna bring it back. It made that period, which we thought was just the end of producing the bags, it turned it into like a five-year prototyping phase. <laughs> and uh, so we really got, to, so getting these bags back and getting, you know, seeing people's bags that, um, that have them, that have just been, you know, traveling around the world um, with them, uh, you get to see the things that did wear out. And like, so this guy said, it, it is a durable bag. It's very, it's, it's very durable, but inevitably there's certain things that, that, that break. Oh yeah, so I now, broke some shit on this bag. <laughs> yeah. And it is cobbled together at this point. And that's like the lessons we learned. Like, hey, you know what? It, it, and Malcolm, I think the reason he really wanted to partner with us, he's like, hey, can you just like show me all the shit that you broke on this bag? Like the zippers, like there were like the little pull tabs, and then like what are other things that you would change to make it even make it the same bag, but also make it a little bit better so that it continues to function well beyond the six or seven years that I've had it now. Josh, by the way, should have uh, something like DIY master on his on his resume somewhere too because uh, it's one of his skills. Well, he showed me his bag. He's like, "Oh yeah, this broken. This is what I did to fix it." And I did this, and it's like, ah, "That works. It's creative." And, it, and and most of the hacks look decent. Um, most of them. <laughs> um, but um, oh, but so now getting these bags back. So this is a, it's been a cool opportunity to you know, to create a new updated version. And um, one of the things these guys, the guys told me um, early on is like when you know, those discussions back and forth about whether or not we were going to collaborate was that if you're going to do this, is like, I don't want you to, this is, we don't want you to change much because the thing is nearly perfect. And um, that kind of goes against everything that designers are taught. As a designer, you just want to tear everything apart, start over again. I can do this better. Um, but it's a cool set of, of constraints. And, um, you know, we realize we do have a bag that is nearly perfect. But there's always something that could be changed. So we looked at bags, like the ones that these guys carried, and Josh's, what had broken on his, and then we said, let's try to make that even stronger. Let's make it, let's, you know, we can sew that differently, you know, so that, you know, this bag's still going strong after five years. Let's make, you know, this next one should be in just as good a shape after 10 years or more. And um, so that, you know, um, if you're going to, you know, it's not, it's not a cheap bag. It's not cheap to make stuff like that. But if you do choose this bag and you know spend money on it, it should last you. Yeah, and that was the other thing too. Make sure it's not crazy expensive either, because the you know, the, the markup from from manufacturing to this it, it, to to the retail price will, will not end up being uh, really expensive. But but also a large chunk of, of some of the profits we're going to go back into the the organization, the the Seahive organization that um, Malcolm is working with to. to uh, help fight with the, the plastic in the oceans as well. So I think the nice thing is we can also do something good with a, with a manufactured good that is deliberate. And all that said, before I wrap this up here, you probably don't need another bag. <laughs> and so you don't have to buy it. Um, if you're interested in, in finding more out about the bag, it's packedbags.com, P-A-K-T bags.com. It's on all the social medias. You can see pictures and, and all that fun stuff as well. Malcolm, thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for being delivered, Thanks so brother. much, man. I really appreciate thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for all you Thanks, guys. Thank you for coming up All right, y'all. Quick interruption. If you want to listen to our bonus episode this week, as well as 
all of our past bonus episodes, head on over to theminimalists.com and click donate at the top of our website. Each week we publish The Minimalist's private podcast exclusively for our Patreon supporters. This private podcast shows up in your normal podcast feed like Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Google Play, or whatever podcast app you use. And it shows up right next to our normal weekly podcast you know, the one you're listening to right now. And being a Patreon supporter also gets you first access to the best tickets to all of our live events, as well as access to our monthly private live stream video, which is called Ask the Minimalists Anything. It's worth noting that none of this money goes to me or to Ryan. Instead, we're using your contributions to build a new podcast and film studio in Los Angeles so that we can create more meaningful audio and video creations. If you already support this podcast, thank you. I know that $2 often doesn't sound like a lot of money. I mean, it's less than a cup of coffee, but it is your support that keeps this podcast 100% advertisement free because advertisements suck. And if we can just get 2% of our audience to support this show, then we'll have enough funds to produce some amazing new creations. Your support is truly appreciated. All right, y'all, back to the regular show. Yeah, we'll wrap it up really quick. Um, Sean, I'm sure you can figure out how to edit all of that. Ladies and gentlemen, podcast Sean, hiding in the shadows. Yeah. We love you, Sean. Well, I just want to um, thank a few people before, uh, before we get out of here. Um, uh, Bex, did you have anything to add to that? I think I saw you back there. She's <laughs> like, no, don't. Don't do it. Um, okay. Um, well, for those of you listening to this, we just had a question about diet and food and, and a bunch of other stuff that uh, Ryan answered masterfully. And um, <laughs> Wait a second. Wait. I feel like we're kind of like a band, like The Minimalists. You know how sometimes bands have the crowds sing along with them? So you guys know what we end our podcast with, right? What do we end it with? Yes. So can we end it with everyone saying that? Love people and use things because the opposite never works. On three. One, two, three. Yeah. Yeah, y'all. Thank you. Woo! Thank you, Brooklyn. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Hi, Josh and Ryan. This is Jennifer from Western New York. With the holidays coming up, my son is a lover of Legos but quickly tires of them after he is built to set. I knew there had to be a better way, and so I did a Google search and quickly found two companies where you can rent Legos or toys. They will sanitize them in between use, and if you lose a leg or two, you are not penalized. This made me think about your talk that we are moving to a culture of access. So I really wanted to share that with every parent out there. I am super excited to take advantage of these services, and I hope other people are as well. Thank you. Hi, Josh and Ryan. This is Catherine from Austin, Texas. I was just listening to the podcast where a woman asked, about how she can keep her wardrobe minimized. And I thought I would pass along something that's worked for me. About 15 years ago, I looked through my closet. I eliminated some things that I was no longer wearing. And I decided that what I had was enough. And I, at that point, started what I called my fixed hanger rule. Going forward, if I wanted to bring something new into my wardrobe, I have to give up something. I think it's normal for people to want to try new things, to bring new things into their wardrobe. But that comes with some trade-off, which is you have to be willing to let go of something that you already have. Over time, I realized that I had more than enough and I started eliminating hangers. And I think that's also part of the process that as you're willing to reduce and get down to less, you do. But I can't ever add back hangers to my wardrobe. That's my rule. And that works for me. My name is Tex, and I'm from Seattle. One of the minimalist secrets I have for the holidays that I wanted to share is the only decoration one will ever need for the holidays is Christmas lights. No one needs a fancy tree, wall decorations, yard ball displays, or anything else expensive and cluttersome. My pet peeve are those giant inflatable motorized like balloon displays that are really just a giant eyesore. Oh my God, they're so annoying. Anyways, 
One set of lights hung around a tree in the front yard is all I ever need to put in the Christmas spirit. Better yet, a tradition I've started in my family is instead of chopping down a perfectly good tree, instead go out and buy a small junior tree for like half the price, decorate it with one set of lights, and then after the holidays, go plant it in your backyard. You will enjoy it for years and years to come, and it will be a reminder of how great that time in your life was. Christmas lights is all that is needed to put you in the holiday mood. Everything else is simply just tacky. It also reminds me to keep life simple and concentrate on all the things I have to be thankful for, and it is what makes the holidays special to me. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for and you gotta grab. Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it. So tear your eyes. 